0: this is the ellis martin report when you hear us mention companies doing any kind of business there's a large probability if not a certainty that the ellis martin report is compensated for that mention and now here's ellis martin join me for a conversation with grant ewing ceo of rock ridge resources trading as rock on the tsx venture exchange and of the us on the otc as R R R L F. Rockridge Resources is a new public mineral exploration company focused on the acquisition, exploration, and development of mineral resource properties in Canada. Grant, welcome back to the program.
1: Yeah, thanks, Alice. Great to be here.
0: We've been looking for an update on the Rainy Gold Project.
1: What have you got? We just announced today that we've earned 100% interest in our Rainy Gold Project, so that's great news for Rockridge. We're also about halfway through our current drill program. It was a 3,000-meter drill program, approximately 10 or 11 holes. We're about halfway through that program. And for the majority of these holes, we're seeing the alteration that's expected. So that's good news. And this program's really designed to test three target areas, down plunge of a historic high-grade areas, where we intercepted 28 gram per ton over six meters earlier in the year. We'll test down plunge of that hit, plus other high-grade hit. We'll march out a long strike and test coincident magnetic low that hosts the rainy gold structure, try to expand. In this structure along strike east and west. And then a new target that we've decided to test, we can go through this quartz. Feldspar porphyry body that lies south of the rainy zone in the past has never been assessed properly. So we'll do one drill hole through that large intrusive body, and then it'll continue and go down plunge to test the rainy gold zone as well. So with that hole, we'll test two targets. This porphyry is interesting because it's got some nice high grades on surface as we showed in our recent news release, and never really been assessed with deep drilling. So that'll be an interesting target to follow up on.
0: I think anytime you see more than a gram per ton of gold at surface, and you've seen much more than that. You can potentially expect a lot more as you get down deep.
1: Yeah, and you really have to let see what happens with the drill testing, but this quartz-filled spore body is strongly sheared and altered at surface, so that's a great sign. Now it's just a matter of drilling it off and seeing what we have at depth.
0: So you're halfway through. When can we see some additional results with more holes?
1: Yeah, so we'll continue drilling for probably the next two, three weeks, and we've started submitting assays already for the first drill holes, and normally it's about a four-week, roughly, turnaround from when assays go in. So November, we should start seeing assays and then continue to announce them throughout November and into December likely.
0: Any interesting anomalies that you might want to talk about that might portend the future?
1: This zone, the rainy gold zone, is really just tested over a small area, about 225 meters of strike length. So there's great potential on this quite large project for new gold zones to show up. Right now, we're focused on the known gold zone and expanding that, but there's still other potential in this project that we'll look at as we go forward.
0: How much drilling do you have have to do ultimately to define a potential resource?
1: That really depends on the body you're drilling off. With this type of body here, we have high-grade gold and quartz veins. There's also a secondary target of more lower grade in disseminated throughout the rock, a lower grade target potentially in the host rock surrounding these high-grade veins. So these types of deposits will normally require quite a bit of drilling to get to that first resource estimate. And then depending on the continuity of mineralization, you'd work on how much infill drilling you have to perform.
0: Tell us about the district. It's been known for mining for quite some time.
1: Yeah, that's right. So this is certainly a world-class district. We're in the southwest of Timmins, Ontario, Canada, and the Timmins Gold District and east towards Kirkland Lake is world-famous for large discoveries over the last hundred years. Lots of world-class mines in operation today. We're situated between Newmont's newest mine to the west of us, the Borden Mine, and then to the southeast. I Am Gold has a large development project called the Cote Project. So we're in a great geologic setting, relatively under explored versus some of the areas that might be closer to Timmins. So we see excellent potential here for new discovery.
0: Well, we know what happened with Kirkland's Detour Lake not too long ago, and there's always the potential for that kind of discovery, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I mean, this mineral exploration game, you do your best to outline target and use all your technical to make sure your drill holes are positioned properly to further your chances of success.
0: Tell us about the share structure of the company.
1: So we've got a relatively tight share capital structure, about 50 million shares outstanding. Management has a large position in the company, greater than 10%. And we've got a share price in around 20 cents Canadian today, so about a $10 million market cap roughly. So we view it as quite inexpensive, and certainly with result, we think we could see a significant share price re rating.
0: I've been speaking with Grant Ewing, CEO of Rock Ridge Resources, trading as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange and of the US on the OTC as RRRLF. For more information on Rock Ridge Resources, go to the company's website. Rockbridge Resources LTD.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Riggs Eckleberry is the CEO of Origin Clear, a public company in the U.S. trading under the symbol OCLN. Water is the new gold. Origin Clear leads the self reliant water revolution, democratizing water investment by developing a marketplace to connect investors with water projects and commercializing modular, prefabricated, filter free advanced systems for faster sanitation worldwide. Riggs, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Ellis. It's a pleasure. We really don't know how long this pandemic is going to happen. And certainly it's affected the welfare and the income of many, many, many Americans of all economic realms. And this recession is actually also spawning, according to an article that you're sharing with me with Bloomberg Wealth, entrepreneurs in the U.S. amid this joblessness. There are opportunities. Let's talk about
2: that. Yes. It's surprising data. Americans continue to create new businesses in surprising numbers. About potential tailwind for an economy. So really, what's happening is that people are creating new jobs. It's mostly booming in the Midwest and South, but it's happening all over the country, really. New business formations are up 77% from the previous months and 82%, almost double from a year earlier, which is astonishing. So I think that people, obviously, Americans fall on their feet, they land on their feet and, and they got to do something. We don't have much of a safety net in our country, especially for people who've been freelance or had their own businesses. They got to do something. Now, the reason this is so important is because we arrived at this conclusion a few months ago, which was this new idea we had of feeding up water treatment by bringing in new funding had another element to which, which was the human element that let's say, call it 100,000 businesses have been shut permanently in this country. And I think the number is far greater, but that's the number according to Yelp. And those entrepreneurs are free to essentially get into a new career. Our pilot program, which involved this new product called the Pool Preserver, is very successful. And there's this particular case study where we showed how we were able to take a guy who lost his corporate job. And in the middle of the recession, there he is. And we put him into a very profitable business. So it's called a waterpreneur and it's called Water as a Career.
0: This is interesting. We've certainly spoken about it before, but I have to ask you, what about those states that actually have winter? Is the water in the pool being kept in there
2: and preserved or is it being emptied out? There's actually a variation of the product, which is for spas, so hot tubs. So let's say you have a hotel, which has 30, 40 of these. There's a number of commercial operators of spas that have to go maintain these things. That's a little niche for sure. I mean, there's 2 million pools in the Southwest alone. That's obviously the bulk of the business, but you'd be surprised how much we're getting from, Places like Oregon, it's pretty interesting.
0: Well, when I think of the Southwest, I include California, in that with fifty million people, twenty million here <laughs> in Southern California alone. You've got Arizona, you have you have New Mexico, you certainly have Nevada, and you're active in Phoenix, aren't you? Well,
2: Phoenix was the location of our pilot and the wonderful story that was told in our video, which you can pull up on originclear.com or on Origin Facebook page. That's become very popular. I mean, the first video we did on this had got to a million views with very little effort on our part, and uh, looks like the follow-on is doing the same thing. So people love the idea, first of all, of a innovative new product that saves water. Because normally, pool owners, after a while, they can no longer shock the pool. They have to get rid of the dissolved solids, TDS as they call it, which is mostly salts. And they generally have to dump it, which... Of course, wastewater, but also can potentially lead to cracks in the pool. From playing in the south, now southeast, the pool literally lifts off its foundations. It's pretty scary what happens. So this is a piece of equipment that's wonderful for pool cleaners because it does not require them to be there while it operates. They can go do something else, which is a lot unlike what normally a pool cleaner has got to be there to do his stuff. And if he's not there, it doesn't happen. This liberates him. So, of course, you know we're a conventional water company too. We market these systems to the pool cleaning companies who are already in business. We market them to people who want to start their business and have good credit. We're not going to try and beat the leasing companies with that. But where people are starting fresh and they're being told by the leasing companies, hey, you got to be two years in business, which they're not. We come in with this cool new rental program coupled with a career builder package, Waterpreneur University, we're calling it. And literally we're developing that curriculum in the field with our first Waterpreneur Ryan Kustra. So do it and document it and we'll keep building more modules because these days there's a number of ways you can promote. Obviously, one is by driving around with the big old signboard of your side of your trailer But this is also dropping in door handle hangers and this online marketing, local uh, Angie's List, there's a whole variety of things, we get into that. So we help these people get in business and also we finance that piece of equipment as a rental. Now, the, what's good about a rental is it's much lower risk. Ellis, I don't have to ask you what your FICO score is to rent you something like a TV, right? right? Because there's a few things I want to know about you, but you don't have to have great credit. Why? Because if you had great credit, you go buy a TV. So, but there's a way that I can let you have that TV, rent it. I get a much higher payment than I would normally if I'm releasing it to you or financing it, and you have the enjoyment of it right away. So it's a win-win. And that's what we're doing with these waterpreneurs. This first pilot that we did, the entrepreneur is super happy. He's making, I believe, something like 16 jobs in the first month, each of which was six to $800. And um, the machine is 3000 a month. So you can see that he's doing just fine. That's the kind of thing that we do that's very innovative, both on the equipment side, product side, and also the financing. And now we're deploying these mini water companies Ken Behringer, my co-strategist, likes to call them micro utilities in the concept of a water utility. And there's a little micro utility going out there. We want to spawn hundreds, thousands of them. And then through our partnership with a group called Philanthro Investors, get to 26 countries because that's their footprint. And this is how we're going to expand.
0: How are you subsidizing all of these machines, potentially thousands that you're going to put into the hands of entrepreneurs, some of them with great credit, some of them with questionable
2: credit, but folks that you've screened? We have a dream of letting investors directly invest in the water equipment, and that's the whole idea of an Airbnb for water in a way, but that's down the road. For now, we want to be the financier, and we have a very successful corporate bond, which earns double digits on dividends, as well as superb upside, price-protected upside. Go to our website, and there's a big red banner you can't miss, click that, and it has the details and, of course, the disclaimers. But the important thing to know is that this is a very good, high-yield instrument for investors, and we're able to, of course, pay for all the development costs, but as well, we're now starting to pay for these machines. We did one already, we're going to, to keep on doing more. It's very promising. And eventually, we're actually talking to high-net-worth investors about creating a quote unquote, kind of a GM financial where it's a captive finance organization like what they have in the car business and bring these high net worth investors to create our bank. The minute we have a bank, it's game over because we will have our war chest basically. How soon is this business rolling out? Well, it has begun already. We had, as I said, the pilot program, and we're about to do more of the same. But the pool preserver alone, these are $100,000 systems. But we've got something like 40 leads, and it's going well. Call it a million-dollar pipeline. I don't know precisely what it is, but it's going well. Now, we have follow-on products, as I said. The next one down the pike is called Pond Stir. pond monster and the pondster is a machine that does the same thing of recirculating through not a pool but a pond and on the way through the unit gets very very advanced technology to neutralize the toxins and purify it and basically render that pond clear and it's being applied to trailer parks and this is something i didn't know until i got into it which was many many thousands of trailer parks south of the mason dixon line are reliant for their sewage on a pond. It just goes into a pond. That's wild and crazy, isn't it? (laughs) As a former teenager, I don't like it. You don't go skinny dipping in that thing. No, you do not. Obviously the environmental protection departments in Alabama and elsewhere are very keen to fix that. And so they're forcing landlords to upgrade and we can help them do so inexpensively. So that's Ponster for trailer parks or MHPs, mobile home parks. The next step is Ponster for CAFO, concentrated, animal farming operations. Those are those big industrial animal farms. Give you an idea how much manure is being put out. There's a very large operation in Iowa that generates, we are told, they haul all the manure away. They pay waste management $6 million a month to haul it away. Well, for that kind of money, you can get an amazing, sophisticated zero-waste system that creates beautiful fertilizer. But here's the problem, and this is the problem that we tackled in the COVID, which is the long capital cycle, even if this animal farm has the money, money, which they often don't because they're spending it all on carting it all all away. There's a whole capital financing and approval and this and that takes months and years. As an example, we signed this amazing deal with a premium hotel for a whole hotel water purification and it went beautifully, but it took over a year to do the deal, a year and a half. It's like, kill me now. Speeding it up is starting easier, but also financing it. So like here, Ellis, you have a hog farm. Mm -hmm. We're going to make it easy for you. Just sign here. Good. Okay. Instead of paying waste management to Holloway, you'll pay us for the equipment that's going to clean up the pond. It's a revolution for animal farms. Then the, the pool preserver, the ponster for MHPs, the ponster for CAFOs, and then the fourth one, as I was saying, is this whole hotel water purification system. Why do hotels want to have crystal clear, pure, disinfected water throughout their hotel? Hmm, I wonder. 2020, let me think. Uh, it'll come to me in a second. Uh, <laughs> just trying to think. Travelers want to know that they are safely staying in that hotel and it becomes a promotional thing. So, We signed that deal, boom, done, because that hotel, which is being built fresh, 221 rooms, we can't disclose which one it is yet, but we have the order quality water for The showers, the kitchen sinks, you name it, everywhere. Not just on that little bottle on the bureau that they want you to have. And that is just the beginning of the hotel stuff because then hotels want to reuse their gray water. Purple pipe, which is the water that comes out of the showers and the sinks. You reuse that water for sprinkling the lawns and the shrubbery. And eventually, this is way down the road, treat their black water the same way we're treating that animal farm stuff and that trailer park stuff. It'll be done for these hotels and other commercial buildings. And then they can be completely separated from the sewage plants. Now, Ellis, why would they want to be separate from the sewage system? You ask. We want to think about, first of all, the fact that more and more interesting resorts and subdivisions and so forth are being built off the beaten track. And sewage can be a very expensive proposition. Now, you can say, listen, we'll be self-contained. Once a year, the truck will come around and pump out what's in our big solids tank. And the rest of the time, we're good, right? And we have done that already more than once. We have a case study on our website where we did this for a Pennsylvania car dealership that was able to buy super cheap rural land because no need for sewage, because they got the little closed loop system from us. And so that is the beauty of the handling of the black water. And the second factor is, is that more and more water treatment is being pushed back on the commercial user because the cities just can't handle the load. It's been under investment, it's criminal. The people of Compton, a few years ago, they saw their water turn brown and they said, what's going on? And the municipality said, um, your city council hasn't been allowing us any budget for the last, 20 years. and so guess what, your water's brown. That was not a good answer, by the way. It was not a win-win. The people who ran the water district got canned and the city council got canned and everybody got in trouble. But what's happening is that centralized water treatment in this country is falling apart and there's this silent revolution happening where more and more commercial industrial users are doing their own treatment. This for us is good news, why? Because now they have control and now these things are small enough that they can be financed by people like us.
0: Are you getting inquiries from any of these municipalities around the country, from people that really have no money because their tax base has been depleted because of COVID, because of the pandemic? Are you getting those kinds of inquiries? Because I would think it would make certain council members around the country uh, look better than they do.
2: Well, yes, and in fact, just to acquaint you with what we have built over the last few years is a what I call a value stack or capability stack. At the base of it is our core filterless technology, which is brilliant. And it's in use, for example, as a great video of it being used in Spain for animal farms. Second level is the company we bought in Texas called Progressive Water that can build anything, small or large. And third is a property called Modular Water Systems, which is these advanced prefab drop-in-place water systems in a box. And the final layer is this water is a career waterpreneur thing I've been talking about. Okay, now all the way down here at the Texas company, these guys have the ability to build anything. And they build from $50,000 systems to $2 million systems, which includes small cities. And I could tell you, but I can't. The one that we did announce a few years ago was a city of Horizon, Texas. We built their system. You know, we've built a number since. So we can do it and we do it. The thing is that you always follow the big trend, right? Like for example, right now, there's still mainframes, but is mainframes the big trend? No. The big trend is smartphones and touchscreen laptops. It's not mainframes. The mainframe is a very static business. So for us, the municipality business is there. It's solid. It's actually growing, but it's relatively static. Water companies, if they grow past 10% per year, they're doing very well. And that's because of the incredibly slow process. And of course, the margin aren't great. All in all, we're looking at a business that is worth having because it gives us a base load of revenue, but it also gives us the capability. I can say to Mark Stevens, can we build the next generation pool preserver? And he goes, yep, no problem. And sure enough, I have pictures of the next generation pool preserver being built in his yard. And that is is something that we value, is the ability to do anything we want and that way solve problems without having to go somewhere else. How fast is the
0: scalability for production, let's say McKinley, Texas? If you get several orders all at once, what's typically the weight? We know there's a weight for the new Tesla truck and the Mustang Mach-E and everything's sold out and the factories can't keep up production. That's a concern for people that want this product because they're
2: excited about saving money. That's a very good point. But uh, let me point out to you that this is not true manufacturing. This is assembly. You're taking a skid and you're bolting things together that you bought. We're not making these membranes. We're not making the housings, etc. So it's more of a fabrication, relatively easier to scale up. Now, having said that, A lot of our production, for example, of those big plastic modules you see, if you go to modularwater.com, you'll see, well, they look like pipeline sections, which is what they are, and they're very rigid. Well, the plastic fabrication, we farm out all over the country, and so we're able to do a lot of scaling. So that's not a big problem. What we are excited about right now is standardizing product. Texas, they go, what do you want? I'll build it. Great. That's a good business. Nothing wrong with it. But- it's even better if you can standardize the products and now you stamp them out. So the Pool Preserver is the first one, bang, bang, bang. Then we get this Pondster and then we get the purification system. They got a cool product called the Bronk Boost. The Bronk Boost is a booster pump. Booster pumps are very, very important. They're a pump to boost the throughput. And you'd think it's a simple product. Yeah, 15 to $50,000, but it's a very important product and we sell a lot of them out of Texas. So standardizing our product lines and doing more of that is important giving it a boost pun intended giving it a boost with finance like we're doing with pool preserver to create automatic business for texas is another major thing and here's the interesting thing ellis is that our core business the one that i've been telling is slow growth has been growing that's the crazy news our first half was 22 ahead of the first half 2019 looks like q3 continues to be on trend. And Q4 is just rocking. One big reason is that in 2018, we invested in this whole new concept of these pre packed water systems that people love. But guess what? They love them, but they still take a year to decide, like that hotel guy, right? So we invested in it, invest, and invested invest and invest. And finally the deals started flowing. In fact, Thursday before last, on my CEO briefing, because I show these POs on screen. I go here, take a look, right? We showed the PO for a big system that our chief engineer Dan Early had sold that was modular. So we're doing a lot of add-on business, incremental business, which I believe is going to put us ahead of that 22% gain. We could do better 2020, better than 22% over 2019, which is for the water industry, great news.
0: So I've been listening to you and our listeners have been listening to you for several weeks now. And point of entry as a Potential investor, what do I do? If I don't
2: really know which choice to make, what's my first step? There's a couple of ways to go. First of all, most Americans are not accredited. What does accredited mean? You need to be making $200,000 a year as a single filer or... If you have a spousal equivalent, that's somebody who lives with you, you can add their money if you're still single filing, but you can add what they make to make that 200,000. That recently happened as a new rule. Or if you're filing jointly, it's 300,000. Or you have a million dollar net worth, not including your home. Well, you just described the 1% of America. So great, if you are part of the 1%, we have a wonderful corporate bond for you to invest in, which people love it, it's extremely popular. But if you're like most Americans, don't have that accreditation. There's a way to invest as little as $500. Also, with double digit yields. And eventually when we, at our own discretion, cash you out, we give you a big premium. And I must caution that it's all, again, on clear. go to that red banner at the top, click on it, identify yourself as either credit or not. And then if you're not, you'll go to a little page. And it's important to look at what's called the offering circular because the SEC wants you to know what you're investing in and we recommend that. The point I'm making is you can invest from $500 to 500,000 and we got offerings for everyone. I understand
0: there's forward-looking statements made in pretty much every kind of broadcast that I do personally, this perhaps being one of them. So having said that, I hear something like that. And I know there's all sorts of opportunities given by banks and other firms to open a savings account with less than 1% interest. This seems like another option potentially.
2: You know what the true inflation rate is, right? It's easily 10%. In fact, there's a site called the Chapwood Index. You can go to the Chapwood Index and you can look at the true inflation. And gosh, San Francisco, 12.1%. Per year, Portland, 9.8, Seattle, 11.6. Let's just say it's 10% average the country. Well, 10% using what's called the rule of 72 means that your inflation will double over 10 years, right? That means your dollar will be worth half in 10 years. You cannot afford to hold dollars. Now, should you hold gold? Yeah, you should. I buy junk silver and I do all kinds of good stuff. I do not have Krugerrands in my safe. I do not have any. I just want everybody to know I don't have sure. it. It's important to have those, but that they don't make money. Gold is great. Got to have it, but it's important to at least make at least make double digits per year to at least hold with inflation, and then you have a potential upside in the payoffs because there's the basic dividend and then there's the payoff features I'm not going to get into on this radio show, but they're very, very generous and they're worth looking at. So investing in Origin Clear is not about investing in the stock. It's about investing in our corporate bond. We've paid regular dividends for years. We're excellent at that. It drives this cool waterpreneur thing. As we like to say, we're the water company for the new economy. We are the post-COVID water company.
0: Riggs, it's always great to see you and chat with you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program. I look forward to more updates in the future.
2: Yes, and Ellis, I want to invite your listeners to please come to my briefing every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Just go to OriginClear.com, click on the CEO briefing, and I look forward to having you on the show.
0: I've been speaking with Riggs Eckleberry, the CEO of Origin Clear, trading in the U.S. as OCLN. Water is the new gold. Become more informed right now. Go to oc.gold forward slash CEO. That's oc.gold forward slash CEO. For Origin Clear and the Ellis Martin Report, I'm Ellis Martin.
3: We also exist in podcast form. Find us on TuneIn Radio, iTunes, or try your favorite podcast app.
0: I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Jordan Trimble, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Sky Harbor Resources trading as SYH on the TSX Venture Exchange and SYHBF on the OTCQB in the US. Sky Harbor Resources is a preeminent uranium and thorium exploration company with projects located in the prolific Athabasca Basin of Saskatchewan, Canada, which was ranked as the best mining jurisdiction to work in globally by the Fraser Institute in 2017. The company has been acquiring top-tier exploration projects At attractive valuations culminating in five uranium properties totaling approximately 200,000 hectares throughout the basin. In July 2016, Sky Harbor secured an option from Denison Mines to acquire a 100% interest in the Moore Uranium Project, now the flagship project, which hosts the high-grade Maverick Zone. The company is run by a strong management and geological team who are major shareholders with extensive capital markets experience, as well as focused uranium exploration expertise in the basin. Jordan, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me again. We've been focusing on your more uranium project, but for a while now, you've been negotiating a deal with an Australian company. You have a letter of intent signed with Pitchblend Energy to option 80% of the North Falcon Point Uranium property. What's been happening there?
4: The news release you saw today, 80% earn in an LOI signed for an Australian company, Pitchblend. Now they are doing an RTO into a publicly listed vehicle called Valor, symbol is V-A-L on the ASX. It's a, a great deal for both groups. For us, it's a part of our prospect generator business. This is the third partner company. Now Now that we've brought in to earn in on one of our projects, It's a very accretive deal for our shareholders in that we're going to get $3.5 million of exploration expenditures done on our North Falcon Point project. And I will just note the North Falcon Point property is the northern half of the broader Falcon Point project. So we actually still maintain 100% ownership in the southern part of the project, which hosts our ni forty three one oh one 101 compliant inferred uranium and thorium resource. So they are just earning in 80% on the northern part of the project. Again, $3.5 million that have to be spent in exploration over a three-year period. And on top of that, just under half a million in cash. Payments as well as 250 million shares of Valor. The company closed at a price of just over half a cent on the ASX. So it works out to about a million and a half dollars worth of stock that will be issued. So a very good deal. Very, very excited to be working with the team. As you'll see in the news release, there's two gentleman mentioned one of which will be running the company a gentleman based out of perth named george bach he's a well-known and respected mining executive in western australia 30 years of experience he's built several multi-hundred million dollar mining companies over his career recently built up a company called northern minerals had a lot of success with that and previously worked with a uranium company called northern uranium so he knows the space well very excited to be working with him and his team And then secondly, another gentleman by the name of Gary Billingsley, who's a Saskatoon resident, actually had the pleasure of meeting Gary a few weeks back with my team in Saskatoon. He'll be a non-executive director. He's a geologist with over 48 years of experience in Saskatchewan. He's worked on many mineral projects throughout the province, so knows it very well. And he'll be heading up the exploration on the North Falcon Point project. We're currently working with them to put together an initial program, field program, starting in January. And that's a, a key point here is this will provide Ample news flow from this project. They'll get to work, they'll spend the money, and with any exploration success, both companies will benefit with new discoveries and value adding the project over the next several years. So Again, very exciting deal, a third partner company coming in, and much more news flow to come over the coming years.
0: You know, I've known Gary Billingsley for quite some time, and I didn't realize he was involved in this project. He's obviously the right boots on the ground there. And now, what I'm wondering is, how did this deal come together?
4: We have a mutual contact that put us in touch, and one thing I will note is the mining market in Australia, especially for the juniors, has been quite robust over the last several years, certainly more so than what we've seen here North America. So there is a very strong investor appetite for these kinds of deals. In particular, now we're seeing that interest work its way into the Athabasca Basin. So Gary and George and the money that's backing them wants exposure to uranium and to the Athabasca Basin. And so, yeah, we've been working on putting it all together over the last several months. We're now going to move forward to complete the transaction, get a definitive agreement signed. And like I said, we expect by, call it December, January, we'll have everything finalized. Then the fund starts and we get to go and start exploring and value-adding the project.
0: Well, I'm excited, certainly as a shareholder. I know that the Australians are very, very active with the reaching out to North America, especially Canada, and energy is certainly a concern of theirs. What's happening with the Flagship More Uranium project? Let's talk about that for a few minutes.
4: Our Flagship More high-grade mineralized zone at the Maverick Corridor that we continue to explore and drill. As we chatted about previously, we have a 2500 meter drill program that we have assays and results pending for. We're very pleased with the progress in the program and very much looking forward to releasing those numbers once we get them back from the assay labs. And as you may recall, the focus on this project, in particular in this drill program, was chasing high-grade feeders in the underlying basement rocks. And we really do feel like we're onto something much larger there. We're fully funded now for a winter program next year. I think that's a key point here is is that with the recent financing, a generalist fund that put in a million dollars is well as this new transaction we've announced with Valor fully funded for our exploration plans at our flagship for next year. And we have additional cash payments coming in from other option partners. So again, you have high-grade discovery potential and drill results pending at our flagship more project. We expect news in November and December on that, followed up by another program early in the new year. And three partner companies actively exploring our other projects at Preston, East Preston, and now our North Falcon project.
0: Here we are in the middle of the fall. We've spoken about the uranium market, the supply and demand, the stranglehold situation with regard to energy as a whole, COVID, mine shutdowns, pullbacks, reopening. Where are we at now?
4: We've had a bit of a quiet few months. I think we spoke about it in our last interview the summer, which is not unusual. It's usually a seasonally slow period for the uranium market after a pretty robust spring. April and May, we saw in particular in April, we saw a pretty quick jump up in the price from the mid-20s to the low to mid-30s. It settled in around $30 a pound in the spot market. I expect we'll see another few months at some point here sooner than later where you see that next leg up in the price. There's just too many catalysts at play here, one of which is a continued Supply side response that's playing out. That's been exacerbated by the virus. We saw at one point in April, almost 50% of primary mine supply shut down as a result of the pandemic. Now we've seen mines restart, but it just shows you the risk to the supply side. There's just a handful of mines that produce the bulk of uranium globally. So any further supply disruptions will have an immediate impact on the market. But, you know, again, we have a demand side with about 180 million pounds. It's been relatively unaffected by the virus by the pandemic and a supply side now that we were expecting would be about 135 to 140 million pounds that's been hit and it's likely that we'll be producing less than about 110 million pounds for 2020 again we'll see what more comes here in the in the next several months but major supply deficit so you'll see that continue to work its way into the market positively we expect more producer buying again as these producers have had to curtail production they will have to meet their delivery requirement. There's a handful of larger contract deliveries due early in the new year. So I expect to see producer buying ramp up again here towards the end of the year. Last but not least, utility buying. This is the big one, right? They have been slow coming back to the market. I have been hearing there have been some notable off-market discussions and potential deals that could be signed at much higher prices. We just saw some resolution to the Russian suspension agreement, which is good. It gives the utilities a little more clarity on where they have to Source their material from so again I do think you know much like a coiled spring here I do think we're due to see these utilities come back to the market in a meaningful way and that historically has been the main driver for the price. When you see a bunch of the utilities and purchasing managers coming back and contracting, that will be, I think, key to driving the price of the metal much higher from the current $30 a pound price. And just to reemphasize, $30 a pound, we're still well below the average global all-in cost of production and well, well below the price needed to incentivize new projects and new development and new mines to come online. So I think we're in for a good into 2020 think we'll see a continued rise in the uranium price through 2021. And like we've talked about before, there aren't many ways to get exposure to this commodity. Investors have to look at the few remaining mining companies that are active. And at Sky Harbor, we've done a good job with our flagship project over the last several years, as well as bringing in partner companies now to advance our other projects and provide ample news flow.
0: For the generalists that are just listening to this story for the very first time, and I have to believe that generalists are coming into the space constantly. Tell us about the share structure of the company.
4: Yeah, so there's 93 million shares issued and outstanding. We trade around a $17 million Canadian market cap valuation. We're well-funded now, as I mentioned, right through next year with the recent financings and this new property transaction that we've announced. So undervalued certainly relative to peers and to other junior mining companies out there. A lot of catalysts coming up, as I mentioned, with drill programs at various projects planned and including our flagship more project and last but not least rising uranium market again i think we are very much in the early innings very very early innings of a recovering and a new bull market in the metal we've seen precious metals precious metal companies over the last several months have a pretty significant move higher we now will see i believe other metals follow suit including metals like uranium i think the fundamentals if you look at it some of the strongest of any metal out there and as we've seen in the past when and the price moves, it doesn't move slowly. It's very quickly. We got a glimpse of that in April. Uh, and uh, But I think that the best is
0: yet to come. Jordan, it's always great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Talk soon. I've been speaking with Jordan Trimble, President and CEO of Sky Harbor Resources, trading as SYH on the TSX Venture Exchange and SYHBF on the OTCQB in the U.S. For the Ellis Martin Report and Sky Harbor Resources, I'm Ellis Martin.
3: Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com
0: I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Keith Anderson, the President and CEO of Silver Sands Resources Corporation, trading on the Canadian Securities Exchange as S-A-N-D, and in the U.S. on the OTCQB as S-S-R-S-F. Just type in S-S-R-S-F. Silver Sands Resources' key asset is the Virginia Silver Project, located in the mining-friendly Santa Cruz State at the southern tip of Argentina, part of the expansive Patagonia region of South America. To date, the company has a 43101 compliant reported 12 million ounces indicated silver resource, as well as 3 million ounces inferred, and we believe that's just the beginning. Neighboring major players in the space include Pan American Silver, McEwen Mining, and Yamana. Keith, welcome to the program. It's great to have you with us.
5: Well, thanks, Ellis. It's a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: This is a pretty significant silver story in South America. We haven't had one like this before. You're in the neighborhood of Pan American, Yamana, McEwen Mining, a lot going on down there. Tell us about Silver Sands Resources.
5: We are located down in the southern tip of South America in Argentina, the mining-friendly province of Santa Cruz. And you're correct, as in we are surrounded by a number of miners, such as Pan American Silver, Newmont. You got McEwen, Hothchilds down there. They're all fairly close around us and they've been active there for years now.
0: As I understand it, you have 12 million ounces of silver indicated, 3 million ounces in FERV. That's a very, very good start for a new company.
5: Yeah, that's exactly how we've looked at it as well. It's a great starting point. I mean, the people that have came up with that 43101 compliant resource, that was over a number of years. They've spent about 12 million US there to date. So we're coming in kind of at a latter part of the game with already 43-101 compliant resources as our starting point. So we're pretty excited about that for sure.
0: Well, you waited to. So you had a property to really go large with it to tell us all about it, didn't you?
5: Exactly. We only came to trade. It was last December 2019. We had a qualifying project here in BC, but we were really looking for an acquisition that would really make something of this company. And that's exactly what we found with the Virginia property down in South America.
0: Tell us about finding that Virginia property and Mirasol, if you don't mind. Okay. Well, that was actually, it was uh, during the roundup
5: here in Vancouver. It was my geologist. The whole crew, my directors and partners were all looking for a silver asset. And he phoned me up one afternoon. I guess he was at the roundup and he said, I found the project, Keith. And I sort of said, okay, what project is this? And he goes, it's Mirasol. They've got this Virginia project down in South America. He goes, we really need to take a look at this. We were in their office first thing the next morning and probably within a half an hour, we had pretty much a gentleman's agreement to draft up an LOI and that was the start of it. And we went forward from there.
0: Now you're in a really mind-blowing part of the continent of South America, which is Patagonia. It's expansive. You can find it in two countries, Chile and Argentina. Why is this such a great area for mining? specifically silver.
5: I'm not a technical geologist type, so I can't say specifically why, but it just seems to be, I guess, the lay of the land. I mean, there's so much activity down there. There's They started exploring back in the 80s, and things ramped up into the 90s, and it just seemed like there was a lot of discoveries being made. And I guess it's just the geology and the region that we're in, it just seems to be very favorable, especially for silver. I mean, our property, we're all silver. We're not a byproduct. We're not a lead, zinc, silver. We're not a gold, silver. We are primarily silver, which there's very few companies, I think, out there there that are primarily silver.
0: You know, that's funny that you mentioned that you'd see a company that's mining perhaps uranium or lithium, and all of a sudden during this fall season, it's gold or silver, but you're sticking to your guns. If you find any equivalent of anything else, which you may or may not find, it's all about the silver.
5: 100%. That's all we're after. Our company was called Golden Opportunity when we first started out. And to reflect what our interests are is silver. That's why we changed the name to Silver Sands. And that's 100% of what our interest is in is looking for silver.
0: This looks like a Sizable high-grade open pit scenario, which is really ideal. Do you expect to drill down to greater depths during your expansion of your resource?
5: Absolutely. Like I said earlier, we're at the sort of the very starting point, and to start with an already indicated and inferred resource of 15 million ounces, we're just going to start. Like we've got high priority drill targets picked out, and we're going to be drilling along strike and at depth because a lot of the other people around us that are mining, they're mining underground. So there's a high probability that this is going to go to depth as well. geologists are very favorable on drilling deeper. That's what they think we should find. So yeah, it's open on strike. It's open to depth and we've got nothing but high priority targets picked out. And in fact, our drill rigs are arriving this week. First rigs should be turning on October the 25th, is what I've been
0: told. Since you have these mid-tier and major companies surrounding you, I would guess that the infrastructure is very, very significant in Patagonia for the Virginia property.
5: Oh, it's been because there is quite a bit of activity down there. Number one, it's obviously a very favorable jurisdiction to be in, but we've got highway right through our property. You can drive off the highway right to the camp and to where the drill rigs and everybody will be working. It's great access in and out, and that's because I think of all the mining that's happening in the
0: area. How are you? funded for this exploration? Because everybody knows that doesn't matter what you've got. doesn't matter how great your management team is. And I'll ask you about that. If there's no money in the bank, how can you do business? Exactly.
5: And it is it is a costly business to be in an exploration. But we were fortunate. We did the LOI it was back in February, just before the COVID sort of took grip of the market. And we started seeing that extreme volatility. So it was kind of a tough start at the beginning, but by mid-April, the markets on precious metals really started to turn around. We probably did our $2 million financing in under probably two weeks, and we actually did the over allotment of 10%, so we closed on $2.2 million. That gave us the first full-year budget, which we paid up front of 1075000 U.S., but As we went forward into the summer, markets didn't back off. In fact, they got busier and our stock was really starting to perform well. So we decided, I told one of my partners, I think I could raise another million bucks. And he said, yeah, by all means, if you can do it, go ahead. Well, it took about probably two weeks. I had the million bucks in hand. Talked to my associate again and he said, well, I've got good news. He goes, Sprott wants in for a million bucks as well. Well, you can't say no to that. So I went back to the CSE, asked for an increase on the financing for for price protection because it was trading over 25 cents at the time. And we ended up instead of just going for two million, we went for two and a half million bucks. We ended up closing again with a 10% over allotment. So we closed on 2,750,000 US. So again, we've got our first year budget has already been paid up front and we've got just over 3 million cash in the bank. So we're in great financial shape just to carry on. We don't have to back up, refinance. We're just good to go right through the whole drill season.
0: You mentioned Sprott and... I'm assuming it's Eric Sprott, and he probably has around 12% of the company, as I recall. I, I could be off by a point or two. Now, does he find you in these circumstances, or did you seek Mr. Sprott out?
5: It was actually through an associate of mine that's quite close with Eric and he does a lot of stuff with Eric. And I think it was him that had brought this in front of Eric and showed him that this is a pretty significant silver play that we're just getting started on. And I think, well, as anybody, Eric loves silver and was a great fit, I think, for him and for us. it's such a pleasure to have him part of it, like to say, to actually be able to use his name as one of our larger investors. He's actually at over 14% right now, undiluted. And if he was to exercise his warrants, he'd be actually over
0: 19%.
5: I feel that's a great start point. Hopefully we have continued success and we'll continue to have him be involved with the company and with us going forward.
0: Now you have other major players in the region. They're your neighbors, people like Ross Beatty, Rob McEwen. Any chance that you'll be speaking with them down the line?
5: That would hopefully be my goal. If I start proving up enough ounces, I hope they come knocking. And if they don't, I'll maybe go knocking on their door and see if they've got some interest in talking to me for sure.
0: I like your enthusiasm. <laughs> Tell us about your background. You've been around for a while.
5: I personally have over 30 years experience. I had 24 years I spent as an investment advisor, senior investment advisor at Canaccord Genuity. And a lot of those years were spent helping structure and finance junior resource deals. So I've got no lack of knowledge in this sector. That's for sure.
0: What are your plans for the rest of the year going into 2021 with regard to exploration keith this is
5: our inflection point we first talked to mirasol back in february just as the season was winding down in argentina and it was coming into their winter and we've just come out of winter and into spring so we're at that point we've had crews on the ground for approximately two and a half three weeks doing the ground geophysics the camp is being set up it takes about 10 days to get the camp set up heavy equipment has arrived for doing the trenching that's the excavators and we're anticipating drills to be arriving this week and drills should be turning by the 25th of October. And now we've got a probably, I would say a good seven or eight month run of favorable weather to carry out our exploration plans. And we're going to go hard at it the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. From talking to the guys down south that are doing the work, they said, we do take a break at Christmas for seven to 10 days. And I said, okay,
0: well, that's good. Tell us about the share structure of the company, Keith.
5: Share structure right now, we've got about 54 million shares out. And on top of the 54 million shares, we've got another 21, I think 0.6 million warrants that are all exercisable between 25 and 30 cents We've got roughly 4 million options out, I think with an average of about 17 cents exercise price. Now we've got an acceleration clause on those warrants. If it trades over 50 cents, which I'm confident we'll get to for a 10 day stretch, we can do a forced exercise on those. If we do the exercise that brings another 6 million bucks into the bank on top of the 3 million we already have in there. So I have a feeling that we're going to have a great year with drilling. We're going to have a ton of news. And if we can get those warrants exercised, then we're theoretically have enough money to carry out the whole three year program.
0: In my opinion, I think, with a worldview that, especially with generalists, are concerned, silver has been underexploited, performing very well, but yet underexploited. It has so many uses. It's a speculative metal, and it's an industrial level, which will be really important in infrastructure growth, in technology growth. Let's talk about silver as a whole.
5: I'm convinced. I mean, I've been following silver for a while now, and I've done research on it and everything I listen to and everything I follow. It's just pointing to higher prices. I mean, we've watched gold really perform well for about the last three years, and silver was kind of just sideways. It was that sort of 13 to 18 bucks, just sort of sideways momentum. And that's really why we picked this property. Why I think we got it for as cheap as we did was we caught in there just before that sentiment for silver started to turn. The silver gold ratio was way out of whack with gold pressing upwards of 17, 18, 1900 and silver sitting at that sort of 15 to $17 mark. So I think our timing was perfect. We got in just before that silver started to break out it had a real resistance at about 20, 21 dollars. Once it went through that, you saw it just charge rate through to close to 30 bucks. And it's had a back off and consolidation, which I think is extremely healthy for it over the last couple months. And I think it's for another move as far as I'm concerned. I think maybe the elections, once that sort of takes place, be, and I don't think it really matters whether it's Democrats or Republicans. I think both gold and silver are going to be going higher for sure, especially with the stimulus packages that either Biden or Trump are going to be pursuing. It's definitely going to be good for gold and silver.
0: Keith Anderson, it's a real pleasure to speak with you for the very first time in this program. I wish you all the best. Thanks for joining me today on the program.
5: Why, thanks Ellis. Thanks for having me on and thanks for listening to my story. I hope people find it interesting.
0: I've been speaking with Keith Anderson, the president and CEO of Silver Sands Resources Corporation, trading on the Canadian Securities Exchange as SAND and in the US on the OTCQB as SSRSF. Just type in SSRSF. Silver Sands Resources is a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. Subscribe now, it's free. Go to ellis.gold I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with David Watkinson, the president and CEO of M-Gold Mining Corporation, trading under the symbol EMR on the TSX Venture Exchange, in the U.S. as EGMCF, and on the Frankfurt Exchange as EMLM. M-Gold is a gold, silver, and base metal exploration company focused on Nevada and Quebec. The company's strategy is to look for asset acquisitions in a buyer's market, add value to the acquisitions through computerization and remodeling of historic exploration data, new Exploration and application of modern geophysics, as well as seeking asset divestitures through sale, joint venture, option, royalty, and other business transactions to advance their projects and create value for their shareholders. David, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you with us today. It's
6: nice to be here.
0: You have a plethora of properties in Nevada, an amazing jurisdiction right here in the U.S., and the best jurisdiction in Canada, properties in Quebec. Money in the bank? What's the story for the next six months? with Engold? Well,
6: we're, we're getting ready to launch exploration programs on a number of different properties. Uh, first one in Nevada is a Mindora property that we recently optioned and are in the process of acquiring. So we've got an exploration program that we've started up there already, which is starting off with surface sampling and geological mapping. And then we're going to be conducting some geophysics on the property. And ultimately, we want to do a drilling program, hopefully later this fall or winter as we go through the historic data and then do some confirmation work with the geophysics and the surface sampling and then look at drilling. The property is pretty exciting. It had about 40,000 feet of drilling historically on it, focused on gold targets similar to the nearby Santa Fe mine that is a past producing mine in Nevada, but it also has a molly porphyry system at depth below that. We don't know a lot about the copper mineralization because they never did much assaying for copper historically. So, you know, we're pretty excited about the prospects of the property and the fact that it has multiple targets.
0: I see that you have at least one intercept of almost two grams per ton of gold and then 121 grams per ton of silver, which is actually about three and a half ounces. So you'll have a great silver credit there.
6: Yeah, there's certainly a polymetallic property, certainly a gold and silver epithermal system on surface with a potential porphyry system at depth. So there was drilling done. Primarily, the drilling historically was relatively shallow in the 200 to 400 foot depth below surface. I think the deepest hole was about 700 feet. So at some point in the future, we'll be looking at testing the existing targets that we know from historic drilling, but also looking to drill deeper and try to expand the no one expiration target.
0: When you have almost two grams per ton of gold near surface, it portends potentially for significant grade down deep, doesn't it?
6: It certainly does. The companies that had it, in the 80s and 90s that we were doing the work on it. They looked at drilling off a higher grade gold-silver zone on surface and had actually done scoping studies on doing a small open pit that they were looking to process in a local mill in the area. And that's something that we'll certainly be looking at too. So our initial focus will be on this smaller, higher grade zone that's been identified from historic work. And then there's a more of a bulk disseminated gold-silver target that surrounds that and then the porphyry system depth.
0: You know, maybe I misheard you I'm not sure, but do you have plans for small mining operations in the future before you potentially parlay this off to another company?
6: Not at this point. What we want to do is evaluate what they had done historically on the property. So they, in the 80s and 90s, companies that had it had looked at a small open pit heap leach scenario with uh, milling done in a local processing plant that was in the area. What we're going to do is do confirmation drilling initially in that area, but potentially that would be the first target that we would look at trying to develop resource that meets national instrument 43-101 criteria today. And if we're successful, maybe there is potential to do some sort of scenario where we could develop a small pit and look at transporting the material to a nearby processing facility and processing it. So it's something we would certainly look at, but at this point, there's no NI-43-101 resources identified on the property uh, that would meet today's standards.
0: I understand, but as soon as you found something, potentially that would Be something if it's okay with your shareholders to play with and not necessarily a bad idea.
6: That's why we like this particular property. It has really been sitting there since the late 1990s without any expiration done on it. So we were able to acquire it from two separate parties that held two separate claim blocks and put them together. And so we're excited about now being able to reactivate expiration on the property. And the property is only 12 miles away from our New York Canyon property, which we have. uh, earn-in joint venture with Kennecott Exploration, which is a subsidiary of Rio Tinto. So they came in this year and did a uh, option to earn-in where they're going to spend up to $22.5 million US dollars in order to earn up to a 75% interest on the property. So we're hoping that they'll be drilling either late this year or early next year on that property too. So we have some synergy between those two properties. We like the prospects in that particular area of Nevada.
0: I noticed you mostly likely have some copper assets in that project that you were just discussing, the New York Canyon property. Will you develop those as well, or just sort of goes with the territory, and you'll decide what to do, should you have anything significant as the copper market grows?
6: New York Canyon, with Kennecott being the partner there, they would be doing the expiration and if they spent the $22.5 million to earn into the project, potentially at some point in the future, a joint venture would form, and we'd own a percentage of the property, and they would be the operator and own the majority of the property. So they're a major mining company, and we're hopeful that their exploration will develop something significant that could be a game changer for the company down the road.
0: And they love copper. You know, one of the things that strikes me about Nevada, it's been in the mining world for probably about 150 years, yet it's still very, very underexploited. Why do you think that is?
6: Well, certainly in Nevada, the focus over the years has been on gold exploration. There are copper deposits in Nevada. There are some that have been developed historically. But, you know, I think for a number of reasons, primarily the lure of gold, I guess, to investors and to mining companies, the focus has been on gold for many years. But, you know, it is switching to other metals in Nevada more and more, in my opinion.
0: Let's move to the other side of the continent, if you will, in Quebec. That's equally as exciting. What's happening in Quebec with M-Gold? M-Gold.
6: Quebec. I have been working on our Casa South property, which is adjacent to Hecla's Casa Berardi mine just. To the south and abutting it so we've been doing a drone survey and are expecting to see results from that in the next 30 days we hope to define a drill program there that we would look at commencing later this year in quebec in this particular property it's better to drill in the winter once it freezes up so you know we'd be looking at doing a drill program late this year
0: you've completed some significant financings recently i believe you have about five million dollars in the till that's not insignificant for a small junior cap mining company What are your plans to deploy that overall in 2021? In
6: 2021, I think you'll see us focus on our Mindora property where we're looking at doing drilling. And ultimately, our goal there will be... start to develop a resource. So we want to confirm what was done by historic drilling and then with modern drilling, create a NI-43-101 compliant resource and start building that. We have an an early stage property called Kokel Rawhide that's just south of the operating rawhide mine in Nevada. So we're looking at doing a surface sampling program there. There's a large alteration target that's about 5,000 feet long by 6,000 feet wide that you can visually see on surface. So we're looking at doing surface sampling there and potentially developing drill targets on that property. Our main asset is the Golden Arrow property in Nevada, where we have an approximately 300,000 ounce measured and indicated resource. So we're looking potentially at doing work on that property, which would include some surface sampling and geophysics and potentially drilling on that property. So we have a number of properties in Nevada that we'll be focused on. And then also we have Casa South and Quebec that we'll focus on next year. Hopefully, we're able to make a discovery and start developing resources on that property. We also have a 50% interest in a property called East West in the main strike of the Valdor mining camp in Quebec. So it's sandwiched between West Homme's kena Mine and O3 Mining's Malarctic property. So the O3 Mining has a resource called the Marbin Block that's just on the northwest corner of the east-west property. And both of those companies have just recently completed Completed preliminary economic assessments with the goal of bringing those properties into production. So we're hopeful that we'll be able to advance that property. And our model is certainly to look at acquisitions and divestitures. That's our business model. So if we're able to advance any of these properties and monetize them by finding partners or selling them or doing joint ventures, those are the types of opportunities we're looking at. So our goal is to acquire you know assets as cheaply as we can and add value to them. And then to try to flip them to other companies for a profit. So you can liken it to house flipping in a sense, but we do it with mining property. That's our business model.
0: You're a project generator then.
6: We are in a sense a project generator, although, you know, we don't always develop projects from grassroots and make discoveries. We do have certainly early stage projects where that's potential, but we also have advanced stage properties that we've acquired. So we look for opportunities like we did with Golden Arrow, where we were, able to acquire great property at a reasonable price and have the ability then to advance it and hopefully monetize it at some point in the future.
0: And at near 12 cents a share, the potential for upside certainly is there
6: today. Yeah, definitely. I think we're an undervalued stock in the market given the assets that we have. I think people are just starting to understand the business model that we put together. It's allowed us to raise money recently. We're very successful in, in raising over $4 million. And I think uh, people are starting to to see, especially in this market, the opportunity that the assets that we have, which we think are pretty good quality assets, bring as a potential to increase value for our shareholders.
0: Well, David, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining
6: me today on the program. Good luck. Great. Thanks for speaking with me. I look forward to it next time.
0: I've been speaking with David Watkinson, the president and CEO of M-Gold Mining Corporation, trading under the symbol EMR on the TSX Venture Exchange in the U.S. as EGMCF and on the Frankfurt Exchange as EMLM. Find the company on the web at mgold.com. I'm Ellis Martin.
3: Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free, ellismartinreport.com. You may assume that Ellis Martin is a shareholder on any of the companies that sponsor the Ellis Martin Report, which means he has a vested interest potentially in them.
0: I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with David Cole, the President and CEO of EMX Royalty Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange and on the New York Stock Exchange as EMX. EMX is a precious and base metals royalty company whose investors are provided with discovery, development, and commodity price optionality, while limiting exposure to the risk inherent to operating companies. EMX has a sizable global portfolio of assets and has currently over $70 million in the treasury and no debt. Dave, welcome back to the program.
7: Alice, always my pleasure.
0: I had the pleasure of meeting with your team. Speaking of pleasure, I was in Denver, Colorado last week, and I noticed not only is everyone on the team very sharp, well behaved and fun, but they're all geologists. You surround yourself with geologists, and that starts
7: right at the top, Dave. Well, you know, I'm humbled by the quality of folks I get to associate with here. They're good folks.
0: Give us an overview of your company. I know that many people are familiar with EMX, but there are still new listeners to this program all the time. What is EMX Royalty Corp
7: all about? So we believe that royalties are phenomenal financial instruments because of their embedded optionality. So they're typically a cut of the gross profits of mining operation. Over a long period of time, gross revenue, I should say, over the life of the mining project. So, when I talk about the optionality, we're talking about commodity price optionality. We're talking about, most importantly, discovery optionality. So, as the resources and the reserves grow through greater geological understanding, that's all to the benefit of the royalty holder. So, there's been a number of royalties that we've seen over the course of of our careers that companies have purchased for one and a half million dollars that have now played close to a billion. And the one I'm thinking of is the one that made Franco Nevada, which is now. Multi tens of billions dollar company. That was the company making transaction. There's other great examples of that. Embedded optionality is what makes royalties so fantastic. But what's unique about EMX Royalty, Ellis, is how we accumulate those royalties. Royalties, as you would expect, trade at a premium if you buy them. Now, because their full value is completely recognized. So the best way that we have to grow our royalty portfolio is through execution of the royalty generation model, which is an adaptation of the prospect generation model, where we acquire large tracts of prospective mineral rights. We add value by building geologic models. We sell that off to an industry hungry for discovery opportunities in the gold space, copper space, other metals, battery metals, nickel, nickel cobalt for example sell those off for a combination of share payments cash payments work commitments annual advanced royalty payments and then always a production royalty at the end of the day when a mine goes into production and we've executed that model now for 17 years growing a portfolio of over 250 mineral property assets on the planet it works very 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 well we also buy royalties and we also make strategic investments, and our strategic investing is paid off handsomely over time. There's great synergies between those three aspects, and the unique ability to buy royalties and grow them is particularly powerful, Ellis. And the goal here is astute allocation of capital in growing our mineral property portfolio. We believe we cannot own enough mineral rights.
0: And you're really only interested in partners that are going to, as you would say, drill and build. You don't want people to just hold land packages.
7: Yeah, that's correct. We're looking for the drilling and builders. And we do two types of deals. Ellis, you've seen this. We do the types of deals where we vend off to a junior natural resource company whose goal it is to come in and drill and develop and advance an asset, but we also do deals with the largest mining companies in the world. And a great example, we've sold six projects to Rio, Tinto, RTZ, the largest mining house in the world in the last four years. We're happy to do repeat business with these guys. They love us because we're boots on the ground. We're out doing entrepreneurial geology, finding opportunities, building those up, and then selling them off to the major company as a discovery opportunity. And so they're our customer. We love to do business with big companies. We love to do business with small companies, get our projects advanced.
0: And currently, as I understand it, you are cash flow neutral, which is a big deal as most mining companies are cash flow negative. And you're expecting to be cash flow positive next year in 2021. Am I correct?
7: Yeah. So and one of the things that's helped our cash position, helped our treasury significantly has been our strategic investing gains and our strategic investing gains have been fantastic. We have a 40% internal rate of return on invested capital over our 17-year history. That's put us in a situation today where we have the end of last quarter, 58.2 million Canadian dollars in cash in the bank, another $10 million in tradable securities, giving us a total working capital of 68.5 million dollars right now. We also have some long-term investments that would bring that closer to $80 million that's not included in working capital, and no debt. We have no debt, plus our whole portfolio, I'd like to point out that we have as much working capital as we have raised in the history of the company, which is very rare, very, very, very rare in the junior natural resource space, in addition to our royalty portfolio, mineral property portfolio around the world. And when Scott, our investor relations director, spoke to you, he's correct. Our incipient cash flows, we look out to 21 and 22 as robust as new mines are coming online and new mines are being developed. And we're seeing more cash flow coming in within the next few years. It's going to propel us and, in my opinion, be a catalyst for a continued repricing of our security, which has been going on now for five years. I'll point out we're very proud of this fact that over the course of the last 17 years as a public company, we originally went public at 30 cents Canadian per share. We have a 17% compounded annual growth rate on our share price since then. Of course, that's been a bumpy ride, Ellis, as is the case with all junior natural resource stocks. But you very definitively, business model works. It's accretive. It's astute allocation of capital. We're building value. We have as much money in the bank as we've raised in the history of the company, plus our mineral properties and royalties around the world. We're in good shape.
0: Can you discuss some of the assets that are going to bring about this positive cash flow for next year that you've been alluding to that have been really tremendous in building that value?
7: Well, happy to. And the one that has the most significant near-term punch is going to be from Balia, which is a lead zinc silver deposit that we prospect generated in Turkey. That's being advanced by an astute local Turkish miner. We have a 4% uncapped royalty on that project, which is a fat royalty. And that's going into full-scale commercial production at the end of this year. We'll start to see royalty income as we head into 21 and it will grow in 22. We're pretty excited about that. And then the long-term big company maker within our portfolio that is akin to the one I discussed that built Franco Nevada is our Chukuru-Peki royalty and the Timuk project in Serbia. That project is one of the largest ongoing copper-gold development stories in the world. It's being advanced by Xinjiang, one of the largest state-owned mining companies of China. They've signed a Memorandum of Understanding with Serbia, which is a member of the EU, of course to invest a half a billion dollars in development of underground infrastructure. They also own mills and smelters in the district. So that will be fast-tracked into production. According to the Memorandum of Understanding with the Serbian government, that will be in production in the latter part of 2021. And that would be nice additional cash flow to us. And there's a lower zone there, which is gigantuan. It's 1.7 billion tons of 0.86% copper, 0.18 grams per ton gold. That's very good grade, a huge number of tons. And we have a one half of 1% royalty covering that. You do the math on those numbers and it comes out that that royalty has an incipient payment over time of hundreds of millions of dollars. And we're very, very pleased to have that. That's a company maker in our portfolio. And the team that's built this portfolio just keeps rocking and rolling.
0: Well, I've certainly met the team and they do rock and roll. And I'm curious, when you receive that extra revenue beginning of the end of next year and going forward, substantial amount of money, how do you expect to deploy
7: that? Wrapping it into our exact same business model, growing the number of royalties and mineral property positions that we have around the world. And then once we become cash flow positive from recurring royalty income, as opposed to dominantly from in strategic investment income, then we will institute a dividend. And our intent is to grow that dividend annually thereafter.
0: I've noticed that you're basically jurisdiction agnostic. It all depends on the people involved in the properties around the world. You've done business in Serbia. You've done business in Turkey. You're doing business there. You've done business in Russia. Explain your strategy with regard to being jurisdiction agnostic.
7: Yeah, I get asked that question quite often. I will say that Our current focus on the generative side is in the Western U.S., Idaho, Nevada, Arizona, and in Fenoscandia, which is Scandinavia plus Finland, where we're the largest mineral rights holder in Fenoscandia at this point in time. But we have moved around the world, and that's all been people-first approach. You keep mentioning the team. It's the team that's built this company. And my job as CEO is to engage the most intelligent contributors. And then we leverage their intelligence, their on-the-ground expertise and knowledge of the political environment, the geological terrain, the exploration history, to find opportunities that we can dress up and sell to the industry. And that's taken us all around the world. That's taken us into Turkey, which was the last place that I worked as exploration manager for Newmont Mining Corporation before I left to found this company. As an example of capturing intellectual knowledge to grow the portfolio. It even has in the past taken us to as crazy places as such as Haiti, which we sold to Newmont Mining Corporation in a profitable transaction and kept a royalty on all that ground. So we have been jurisdictionally agnostic. We remain that way, but it's always been a people first approach. Ellis, we acquire the smart economic geologists. They lead the way with respect to where the opportunities are. And of course, in mineral exploration, sometimes that can be the four corners of the world.
0: You mentioned Idaho, you mentioned Nevada, that is substantial area of growth. How are you feeling about gold in the US? Exploration, development, all of that?
7: The Western U.S. in particular has a geological terrain that's robust for precious metals development. We've seen that both historically and in the modern era with respect to gold and silver mining projects. Nevada is one of the largest gold producers in the world. I believe it'd be the third largest gold producer if it were its own country. This is because of the geology, which is conducive for gold deposit development. We believe Idaho likewise has significant potential and we're now a substantial claimant in Idaho. We see a number of new gold projects being developed there and and the right geology for additional discovery opportunities. We're leading our pathway here with strong geology skill sets, understanding the geologic anatomy of the western U.S.
0: And finally, Dave, what would you say to potential shareholders that are not involved in the company now, weren't involved at 30 cents. We're not involved at a dollar. We're not involved at $2. And here you are, I believe at $2 and near 70 cents U.S. What is the potential upside for those that are looking for opportunity?
7: So this is an accretive business model. We're very much value focused. We're value players. We're always keyed in on astute allocation of capital to grow our mineral property portfolio in the context of a sector that has high volatility and so the way to play that, you need to have a strong stomach. But the way to play that is you buy the dips and hold the stock. And if you go back and look at our stock price history, you'd say, "Gee whiz, if I would have accumulated here and accumulated there, when other folks were saying we're getting out of the mining sector, or we're getting out of natural resources, that's when you want to get in." Long term, the value of mineral rights continues to grow, but that is in the context of significant cyclicity. So. In the words of Rick Rule, for example, use cycles to your advantage rather than be used by the cycles. (laughs) And, And it's easier to say that than to do it. Basically, that comes down to buy the dips and hold the stock.
0: Dave Cole, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. It's always a pleasure to speak with you here on the radio. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program.
7: My pleasure, Alice.
0: I've been speaking with David Cole, the president and CEO of EMX Royalty Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange and on the New York Stock Exchange as EMX. Go to the company's website, emxroyalty.com. I'm Ellis Martin.
3: Subscribe to the Ellis Martin newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form.
0: Join us next time for more opportunities to discover on the Ellis Martin Report. Meanwhile, subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report. It's easy and it's free. Visit ellismartinreport.com.